Inter Miami just broke its franchise record losing streak, and it did so with a record defeat. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Miami Total Football Radio, a.k.a. Miami Total Football Radio. Man, I didn't even want to do that. Uh, just given the state of the team, I didn't even feel like like doing that right now, but we have to do it. It's the trademark of the show every week. I am Franco Panizo, half of the hosting team of this podcast, the number one inter-Miami podcast. Joining me today is another special guest, and she probably doesn't need any introduction, but we'll introduce her anyway, and it's Michelle Kaufman of the Miami Herald. Michelle, how are you? How have the last 24 hours been, or a little bit less than 24 hours, since the Miami massacre on Commercial Boulevard? Yeah, well, it's been mostly a lot of people, including my own mom, reaching out to me talk about how bad the game was, what is wrong with this team, why do they keep losing, why can't they score, what's going on, everybody's wondering the same thing. People had very high expectations for this team, and they've continued to disappoint. Yeah, so we're going to jump into last night's awful performance from Inter-Miami and the terrible result that was this 5-0 loss to the New England Revolution. We'll also quickly preview what's coming up immediately this weekend on Sunday against the Philadelphia Union. We'll, of course, at the end also do the Q&A session with questions from you listeners. There's obviously a lot of questions after last night's performance. So there's a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about. So, Michelle, let's get to it. Okay, Michelle, so as we both know, we were both there in attendance and Inter-Miami suffered the worst defeat in franchise history. 5-0 defeat to the New England Revolution, the top team in the Eastern Conference. Four goals in the first half, a fifth one in the second half. Inter-Miami finished with one shot on target. It was another putrid performance from the team. Another abysmal performance that had Phil Neville honest, insightful, and retrospective after the game. Because... This team is in a really bad way. You know, we've said in recent weeks, this is the worst game that they've had, only to then a week later or two weeks later say the same thing for another game. It's been a recurring theme, but this is pretty much rock bottom for for Inter-Miami because they, they're still winless at home. They lose by such a wide wide margin, and the game was practically over in the first half. Um, obviously, they had to play it out, but the game was practically practically over. Just to go over the lineup before we go jump into the thoughts, this was Inter-Miami's starting lineup. It was the same lineup that was supposed to start against the New York Red Bulls over the weekend. Rodolfo Pizarro stayed. So this was the 11. Nick Marsman in goal. Nicolas Figal at right back. Ryan Shawcross at right center back. Leandro gonzalez Pires at left center back. Christian McCoon at left back. The first line of the midfield was Victor Ulloa and Blaise Matuidi. The second line of the midfield was Luis Morgan on the right. Rodolfo Pizarro at the 10, Robbie Robinson on the left, and up top as your lone striker was Gonzalo Higuain. That was Inter-Miami starting lineup for this game. We know how it went. Michelle, what was your biggest takeaway from this match? Yeah, the biggest takeaway was the fact that they had everybody in the lineup that they say they always want to have. They had all of their offensive guns. There were no, you know... Gonzalo was there, Rodolfo was there, Robbie Robinson was finally there, Lewis Morgan. You know, you have everybody that all the fans and coaches have said they want in the starting lineup. They were all there for the first time since week two. And it just was, it was bad. They they played their worst game with their supposed best lineup. Um, you know, the things that stood out to me were they give up too much space. Uh, they're very, you know, just kind of disorganized. They they run forward and then they leave open big giant gaps. And then the other can just counter, you know, very easily once they get the ball. There's really nobody there to defend them all the way across the field. And then uh, Nick Marsman, who is playing in his debut game, just got peppered. I mean, the guy arrived here from Holland and he must be thinking, what the heck is happening um, you know, he was peppered and he, there was, pe- people were unmarked shooting on him unmarked, like a shooting range. Um, and also, you know, what happens is I, I think they looked really good for the first 12 minutes. I remember at the 12 minute mark, I may have tweeted at the 12 minute mark that the team looks really good. 
They looked strong. They were possessing the ball. They were moving the ball forward. They had taken some shots. Robbie Robinson took a shot. Gonzalo took an early shot. Um, you know, I thought that they were moving the ball well at the beginning of the game. I thought they looked pretty good. And then Nico Figal had a foul uh, on the upper left side of the box, and they converted that really into the goal. And right there, you could just see, and that's a product of a team that's been losing a lot. When they when they conceded that goal, you could just tell that their confidence was rocked just a little bit, even though it was just one goal. Still, they in the back of their minds, they somehow were thinking, oh no, here we go again. You know, we looked so good, we look good, and yet here we are down one nil already. And then pretty soon after the second one goes in, and at that point when it was two to zero uh, in the first half in the 27th minute, you could just see the wind out of their sails. And, and you know, the team, I think one of the things I noticed a lot was just the body language. Mm. The body language was not good. Yep. Um, you don't have anybody rallying the troops. You know, when you have a team that's losing or winning, whatever, good teams have leaders on the field who, when, when something goes wrong, they go out there and they grab everyone and, you know, fire them up, pump their fists, go yell into guys' ears and say, come on, we can do this, whatever. Um, you know, I don't see that. I, I know there are four captains who officially are named captains, but I don't see that much leadership on this team on the field from the players. Um, it seems like, you know, a lot of guys out there, but they're not together. They keep talking about it over and over that they're not playing as a team. They're not moving as a team. They're not cohesive as a team. Um, you know, it, it, there are so many things that I think, I don't think there's one thing wrong with the team. I think the, the construct of the roster to start with is probably not the right combination of players. Um, but they have spent so much money on these three DPs that, uh, you know, that's very difficult to undo once you've made those commitments and, um, you know, they keep bringing in guys and they, you know, new coach, new general manager and everything. But the bottom line is the team is still one of the weakest teams, you know, if not the weakest team this year with the highest payroll. Yeah. So for me, the biggest takeaway was sort of what you touched on at the end there, and that's that this is not a team, and that's something that I've brought up in, in, for months now. Um, I, I recall the exact moment when, when it first started to show, and that was in the game against uh, CF Montreal, the 3-0 to loss at home. And the only reason I remember that was the exact date was because that was the monsoon game that ended up going almost to midnight, and my birthday was at midnight, so I remember it very <laughs> well. Um in that game, you started to see moments where players just didn't fight for one another, weren't playing for one another, just kind of looked disconnected and isolated from, from the group. And yesterday's game, because we're recording this today, Thursday, this will come out Friday, but we're talking Thursday here. Um, so yesterday's game put the, the spotlight firmly on these issues. And I don't know if Phil Neville, after the game, finally recognized it or finally said, look, this is the point we need to acknowledge this publicly because after the game, you know, his, his, his remark with regards to all he's asking for is a team. It sounded like a coach pleading uh, out, out loud just for his group of players to come together and, and be a collective. And that's something they have not been um, by and large through mo most of its existence, it's, but especially, especially this year. Um, let's take a quick listen at that quote from Phil Neville so the people that maybe haven't seen the press conference or haven't heard it can get a listen and they can surmise their, their decisions from what he said there. But ultimately, when, you, when you're a team, team doesn't have an eye in it. Team's spelt a certain way because it needs everyone to be pulling in the same direction. It needs everyone to be fighting for the, for the same cause. That's what a team is. That's what New England was. Did they have a better player than us, New England? On paper, no. But they're a team. And that's what we must become. That's what this football club must have. It must have a team. It must have a team that represents the badge. It must have a team that represents David and Jorge and Jose. That's a team. That's all I'm asking for. I'm asking for a team. A team that will fight for each other. A team that will look around the dressing room and trust and believe in each other and fight for each other. Almost like a brotherhood. That's all we need. 
You can win games, you can lose games, you can have great moments and you can have bad moments. This football club just needs a team on the field that plays as a team and fights for those supporters behind the goal. When I was growing up as a young kid, that's all I asked for from my team. And uh, that's what I've asked them to do. I've asked them to look in the mirror just like I will tonight. Okay, Michelle, we had heard the quote, but we've heard it again. What were your thoughts Wednesday night when you heard it? What are your thoughts now on what Phil Neville said about the state of this team, the lack of chemistry, the lack of camaraderie between the players? Yeah, um, you know, he'd said it, but he said it before. Uh, This is not the first time he has said it. He has said it numerous times over this losing streak of six games. Um, He has mentioned when he benched, uh, when he benched Gonzalo and Rodolfo, basically, he said, I am going to take the players that want to play the most, the ones that are going to fight for each other, the ones that are going to sprint forward and back, the ones that are going to defend. You know, he has said that quote numerous times already during the six game losing streak when he benched key players, he stressed that he wants to only have players and use players that want to be there, that want to fight for each other, that want to play hard, that want to defend, play on both sides of the ball, all of this stuff. Um, You know, he reiterated again last night and maybe in a little more detail, but this has been a talking point for many weeks now that there are players on this team. And obviously Gonzalo must have been one of them because he benched, you know, the, the most expensive player on the team, Rodolfo, also by saying the other day that he's finally re-engaged with the team and integrated himself with the team and all this stuff, that and that a few weeks ago he was not. That only in the last two weeks has he integrated himself with the team. Only in the last two weeks has he gotten himself in the kind of playing shape that, that Phil wanted him in. So, you know, the implication is there that before two weeks ago, um, he was not that he was a little bit isolated, that he was not part of the group, that he was not smiling. He didn't have a sparkle in his eye. If the coach is talking about the sparkle in his eye is back and the smile is there and it wasn't there before. So for many weeks now, there has been a talking point that certain players on the team anyway were not giving their all, were not training as hard, being in the kind of shape that you need to be in to play at the top level, were not maybe committed to the team, Um, we're maybe being a little bit selfish, I don't know, or just lazy. I'm not sure what the case is. Um, But the thing that's really disappointing and that was surprising to me and that Phil said it was surprising to him was that he didn't expect it, that over these last two weeks, um, he and all the players have said that there was a, you know, that there was a renewed energy. There was a spark on the team. All of a sudden, it seemed like everything was going right for a change. Everyone was in a better mood. Everybody was fit. Um, and then, you know, the game the other night that got canceled, I really think that was a, a balloon popper for them. You know, I think they were up there and fired up and ready to go after the break. And then they wait eight hours and the game gets canceled. So then that energy that they had for that game is all of a sudden like a big, bleh, a big want want. You know, I always say this team is kind of like the want want team. You're fired up. You think things are going to happen, and then something goes wrong. It's almost like they're cursed. Like there's some santeria out there. Someone's out there with the voodoo Shit. dolls. They have to fly back, regroup, find the energy again. But I still, I thought they would. I thought it's a home crowd. They have not won in front of these poor fans the whole season. The fans were there. The weather was perfect for a change. Everything was lined up. The stars were lined up. The stars were aligned for them to have a good game. They had the lineup. There were no excuses. The only, you know, Joe, Joven Jones was missing and Kelvin Leardham, but otherwise everybody else there present and in the starting lineup. And, you know, it was a disaster Four nothing in the first half. Uh, it was, you know, their worst performance with their best players, Phil Neville, has a very tough job. He's got to somehow infuse this group with confidence and with energy. Um, I don't think they're going to fire him at this point in the season. You know, the, they already fired one coach in less than a year. I don't think they're going to do it again this soon. It would just make them look like bumbling fools. 
Um, hey, Atlanta's fired two coaches yeah. in, in about a year. Atlanta's fired two coaches in about a year. They're, you know, they, they're doing what they think is best. And I agree with you. I don't think Inter-Miami will fire Phil Neville. Um, but a question and, that has come up. Atlanta did it because, right, Atlanta did it because there were some circumstances there that were beyond the field. I think if it was just the results on the field, Heinze would still have his job. There were other issues there. You know, Phil Neville is a classy guy. He hasn't done anything, you know, he hasn't done anything bad or stupid. It's just the team is not the team is not no, responding. The that's team debatable. is not that's debatable. That's debatable. People, people, people on the outside, people listening to this might might disagree with that because look, I agree with you that he's not going anywhere. I don't think David Beckham's going to pull the plug on the guy he handpicked and that is his his friend, his teammate, former teammate, a business associate. I don't think they're going to pull the plug on him. I've actually heard that David Beckham is on his way to South Florida to have talks with uh, with the team and with Phil Neville about what's going on. Now, I don't think that was, I don't think that's a, a byproduct of last night. I think it was already in the plans anyway, but obviously with last night, those talks need to be had even more so. Um, for me, for me, just my opinion, I think he's not the answer. I don't think he's the guy that's going to take this team anywhere close to what it wants to be. They're not even in the playoff picture right now. Um, the fact that he's saying 12, 13 games into the season, this is not a team reflects poorly on the players and it reflects poorly on him in my opinion because his message is not getting across i have questions as to whether he has lost some of that locker room or if he even had some of that locker room to begin with because this team has had these issues for some time now you know he said he didn't see this coming i mean just again my personal perspective is that has to be lip service because this team has shown for many weeks now they're on a five game losing streak even before this game They've shown for many weeks now that they have issues across the board. He, like you said, he's benched Gonzalo Higuain because he's not fit. So there's there's been signs of this team not being a cohesive unit. So for me, I think he's not the answer. I think that they probably should part ways, but I don't think that they will. Because listen, anywhere, anywhere else in the world or almost anywhere else in the world, last night's result would be what they say in Spanish, es un resultado saca técnico. Not only have you just set your record in terms of consecutive losses, you did it with a record defeat at home with fans in the stands. There's n- there's no excuses for that type of performance. 4-0 in the first half, that's that's pretty mind-boggling. Um, and, you know, I think Phil's a great talker. He's great for us on the media side. Banter's about an incredible quote. But I at, at this point, I don't know if he's the right fit for this team, but again, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to have a longer leash than than the ownership group afforded uh, Diego Alonso. So, if we're we're operating on the premise that that Phil Neville is still here, what? How does this team improve? What What do you think the team has to do for performances to at least be better? Because winning consecutively or winning a lot is probably going to be asking way too much of this this team because. I'll say this, I've written it, said it in the video that's going to come out later today. This is a broken team. It's a fractured team. Some guys get along, other guys don't get along. It's definitely a fragmented, um, fractured group. Um, that locker room is not a cohesive group. They, they might they might banter about... But it wasn't last year either. No, it, it wasn't, it last, wasn't year. last year, right. Right. The, 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 the roster on this team is not, you know... Diego couldn't pull them together, and this guy has not been able to pull them together either. This is a group that, you know, to be honest, I mean, you know, I think that Miami, Miami, the city of Miami is this global place, and there was this feeling that they have to bring in, A, Spanish-speaking players, B, players that people here have heard of that they will respect because this is Miami. No offense, this is not, you know, whatever. American cities like Columbus and Kansas City and Portland, Oregon. Sure. You know, those are different markets. And Miami is the kind of place where everybody's into who's famous and who's who have we heard of? And they were not excited when they signed Lewis Morgan. They were like, who the heck is Lewis Morgan? I've never heard of this guy. Right. And he turned out to be the best player they had last year. Right. They were much more excited about the signing of Blaise Matuidi and Gonzalo Higuain than they were about the signing of, of you know, Lewis Morgan. And Lewis Morgan is a better player than both of these, those two guys. He's produced more for this team than either one of those two guys have, have done. So I think part of the problem goes way back 
to the beginning of, um, you know, everyone, including the media, including me, including the fans, everybody wanted name players, wanted players that they've heard of. And the truth is this league is, this league is complicated and a lot of foreign players and coaches have struggled in this league. And so Miami has become also somewhat of a target, I feel, because they're the glitzy, glamorous David Beckham team with, you know, every other day they're putting out a new jersey and a this, and they have all these, you know, social media, fancy, glitzy social media. They're very slick. Their marketing is very slick. This team's marketing from day one has been very slick. Their logo is super cool. They wear black and pink, all this cool stuff. They've got the Latin fans. They have all the makings of a really fun team. But the 11 guys that are starting for the team, I don't think are the right combination of players. And we've now seen two different coaches, two different situations. I mean, I mean, uh, Diego came in two weeks basically before training camp. He had no input whatsoever into what players were on that team. That team was put together by Paul McDonough and David Beckham and Jorge Mas. And, you know, Diego got here and they said, here, here's this team three weeks before training camp. And, you know, he did what he could, but the team was fractured back then. There was division in the locker room back then, and there's division in the locker room still. That team has not come together. So there's, you know, there's lack of leadership, lack of motivation among some key members, I think, of the team. And they've had two different coaches now who speak two different languages have two different personalities, two different approaches, and neither one has really been able to get the best out of this group. So there's a lot to touch on, and we'll be here all night if we, if we <laughs> do touch on on everything, because obviously there's a lot to dissect. But look, I, I agree that this is an issue that plagued the team last year. Although I had heard from a player during the offseason that the locker room was one of the best locker rooms he had ever been a part of, and this, is, this was a very experienced player. However, I just don't think that they have the, the bonds and the relationships needed on and off the field to perform well. And I think this season, maybe this season, things have kind of taken a step back in that regard because you can see the body language like you mentioned earlier. You can see the players, how they carry themselves on the team. And, and you can even look, and I, I've tweeted this out today, so whoever's listening, you can see this on uh, my, my Twitter handle. There's an image of in the first half of the teams going over to the side during the water break of the 30-minute mark. And the New England Revolution were up 2-0 to zero at that point. And the whole team, more or less the whole team, is huddled around Bruce Arena, who's giving them instructions. You look at Inter-Miami, and they're not in a, in a huddle. They're kind of just separated in different parts. They're disjointed. You know, you've got three players talking over here, Phil Neville in the middle, but kind of just with his head down, not saying anything. You've got other players to the right looking in other directions. It's just, you can clearly see that there's not uh, a leadership. There's not leadership for this group, that this group is fractured. And that's something that needs to be resolved. I don't know how you resolve that overnight because MLS, you can't snap your fingers and get rid of your roster or most of your roster because just the, the MLS rules and regulations don't, don't allow for that to be a thing. I think again, coaching would be would, would be a start for me, but again, I don't think that's going to happen. So what what can what can this team do to at least perform better? For me, it's starting with benching some of the players that aren't putting in the effort, that are maybe too individualistic or not showing the hunger and the desire that needs to be there. That that's the bare minimum. Because look, this is how low the bar is for Inter Miami right now. It's better to lose games two to one to Orlando City. 1-0 against DC United, where the effort and the fight is there. Maybe the soccer is not great. It's not even close to great. But at least the effort's there, and you're giving yourself a chance. You're competing. Because what we've seen, in not only last night, but on other occasions, this team has gotten blown out, not competed. And that is much worse than losing a game you know, in ugly fashion by, a, by one goal. So I think Blaise Matuidi is one of, those, one, of the, one of the guys that has to go. I think he needs to be put on the bench. Um, I think we're going to see that on Sunday because Phil Neville pulling him at halftime to me is, a, t- is a telling yeah, he sign. Was, he was disengaged. He was disengaged and just the second the second goal is terrible. Not the full amount. And by the way, with Pogba, you know, with with a famous person in the stands watching, you would think maybe he would have been motivated to play better. You know, 
The, sec- and I didn't the second see it. goal is terrible. I, didn't see it. If you, I don't know if you've gotten a chance to rewatch the, the second goal, but you know anybody who, who wants to rewatch the second goal because obviously the play starts um, with Blaise Matuidi getting the ball taken from him a little bit past the midfield line. Um, he, he asks for a foul, doesn't get it, but he gets up. And literally, you can you can see this. The referee is behind him or further up the field in terms of uh, the New England half. And the referee actually runs back faster than Blaise Matuidi does. It's incredible that Blaise Matuidi just has this lackadaisical indifference to tracking back to try to win the ball. And then the goal happens and, you know, Blaise still asks for the foul. Or, but it's, it, he just gingerly strolls back. And that's stuff we've seen not only from him, from a lot of players uh, they, even dating back to last yeah, they're year. Not dating back to last back. Year. They're not sprinting back. And, uh, you know, Nick Marsman said last night, I mean, this is his first time playing with this team. And he said what struck him was really that everyone is so intent on going forward, 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 and then they don't drop back to get back into shape to defend. You know, if someone's, I mean, you know, my daughter played 14 years of youth and high school soccer, and she had two good coaches, but, you know, it's like basic one-on-one. The thing is, that's why I say I don't think Phil Neville or Diego Alonso should have to tell professional players who are making millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars should have to tell them that you need to track back on defense or if one of your teammates is going to make a run forward, then someone else needs to drop back and, and fill in where they were. That space on the field needs to be filled by a human being. If everybody's going forward and you're leaving gigantic gaps of space in the field, you're going to lose. So everybody knows that. I mean, that is basic soccer 101. That is not high level tactics. That's like elementary mistakes, laziness, lack of commitment. Um, if players are just running forward and then just kind of on the brakes and or just jogging back, anybody who's jogging, you know, on my daughter's high school team, her coach had been in the army. If anyone was ever seen jogging, you would jog. He would immediately pull that player from the game. Anybody jogging would leave the game. You, he only wanted players who were going to sprint. And, you know, Phil Neville said it earlier. I said a few, you know, a few weeks ago when, when he, they had the break and when he benched Gonzalo and everything, he said, I only want players that are going to work hard, that are going to run hard, that are going to train hard, that want to play, that want to play for each other. Uh, it may take benching, you know, their bigger name players. Yeah. If they're not into it and they don't want to play, then I would sit them on the bench and put in guys who want to play, put in Jay yeah. Chapman. You know, I noticed Jay Chapman is the guy that they're giving us to talk to tomorrow. So that leads me to believe that, you know, maybe yeah. he's mm-hmm. going to be playing more on Sunday. I mean, it may be totally unrelated, but um, I, I think he's starting. I think he starts on Sunday. I think he takes Blaze's spot in the lineup. I liked what I saw from from Jay Chapman in the, in the second half. He showed for yeah. the ball, looked for the ball, passed well. Um, right. I, I liked what I saw from Jay Chapman. It's not the first time that I that I think he's played better than Blaze Matuidi when he's come on. I've said it at least a month or two ago that I thought Jay Chapman should have already by now gotten at least one look over Blaze. So I definitely think that moves in the cards. Again, I think Phil pulling Blaze, his DP midfielder at halftime, is a pretty telling sign um, with regards to the effort that's being put forth. I think Gonzalo Higuain is also at risk. If you know, if we, we don't know what his injury status is yet, we'll find out tomorrow when we go to the event. That looked a little bit to me. That looked like, uh, I don't know if that was an injury or an Injury with well, he, he made the gesture when he walked off the field. He did. He did like I can't. Obviously, people listening can't see this, but he put his hands together and kind of did like this. This uh, I, I can't. I don't know how to explain it. This, he did a gesture like something was something pulled or something ripped. So you know his status for Sunday is, is it's possible is or it could be it was the seventy eighth minute and they were humiliated and he was like I'm done. Mm, I'm done. Well, so, so, so that's the thing. So you, you touched on this and, and we don't need to touch too much more on the game because we, we still have to preview the Philadelphia Union, but. You touched on the players not tracking back, not showing that that effort and that desire. To me, to me, because you said it yourself, and I think we all know this. It's it's soccer. It's basic soccer principles and basic soccer concepts, and these players know that they're professionals. But that they're not doing it is a lack of one desire and two lack of conviction. Yeah, you know what? Let somebody else do it. Eh, for what? We're gonna lose anyway. Like confidence is low, as low as it's been with yep. this group, and and even Lewis Morgan. Even Lewis Morgan, uh, I think it's on the fourth goal. Obviously, the game's three zero. It's you know it's pretty much out of reach at that point in the first half. But on the fourth goal, watch it again. He does the same thing Blaise Matuidi does. Just kind of strolls back, takes his time, eventually gets to the box. But 
just the desire is not there. And to see that from Lewis Morgan, who has been a player that has done very well and usually has his heart on his sleeve for the team and usually tries to be the one that tries to make things happen in the attack, that is alarming. And that speaks to a very troubling situation for Phil Neville in, in, within the group. So um, yeah. there's, there's a lot of things to correct. There's a lot of things that, to correct. Yeah. A lot. One thing I wanted to say before we do the preview, and then um, my husband made me spaghetti and meatballs <laughs> dinner. Um, so that's calling me. But, uh, you know, part of it is cumulative. The confidence level and all that. Uh, it, when a team is coming off a losing season already, where they they did not reach expectations, they did not fulfill expectations, so they ended the season on a sour note, losing 3 nothing to Nashville, they lo- they end the season on a sour note. They make all these changes in the offseason. New coach, new general manager. At the beginning, everyone, including all the players, were saying, Oh, it's you know, it's different now. And David Beckham is around, everyone's fired up, everyone's on the same page. I kept hearing everybody's on the same page now. Everybody knows what the plan is. There's a plan. People know the plan. It's more clear what the plan is. It's more clear the style of play that we are expected to play. That's what we were told for the first two months during preseason and during the first month of the season that everybody was on board. People understood that, you know, what, what the expectations were very clear, but when the team continues to lose then, and it's compounded from last year, it's like, wow, we, we didn't do well last year. We've changed the coach. We've changed the GM. We've added some new players. We all know each other. Now there's no more COVID, you know, keeping the fans out. The fans are there now, and we're still losing. That feeling of just the 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 burden being heavier and heavier on their shoulders. You can see it each week that they lose one more game or they give up, you know, that first goal yesterday. You could see their their shoulders start to drop a little, their chin starts to drop. Even though it was just one goal, it's like, oh no, here we go again. And when it became 2-0, when it became 2-0, I think they were completely deflated. So it's really, it's, we've said it, it's, a lot of this is mental and emotional at this point. These are the players they have right now, unless they start getting rid of, if they get rid of a couple of the players and decide we're just going to cut a couple of these guys loose and get what we can get for them and get whatever value we can get and try to build new pieces. But for right now, if they're keeping the same coach and the same roster, some you know big changes need to happen with that are on the field. Yep, no, for sure. And and look, so we it's obviously been a very tough result for the team to swallow. It's you know it's been pretty much doom and gloom since last night with regards to Inter Miami. But there were some positives. Uh, I'll quickly touch on that, and then we'll we'll end this segment here. Um, like Michelle said earlier, the first 12, 15 minutes for Inter Miami before the first New England goal were pretty bright. Some of the best soccer that Inter Miami has played in several weeks. They were very good in terms of sending goal kicks or Nick Marsman's long balls towards the middle of the field, winning those first balls, getting the second balls, and starting to play from the middle of the field. Robbie Robinson was particularly sharp in those opening 15 minutes, but then the goal came and things things went south. So um, I also thought Nick Marsman, by and large, had a very, very good game obviously when you when you see five goals against the team and against goalkeeper you, how could you say that but he made a lot of good saves I think he had six on the day the score would have been a lot worse had uh had somebody else been in that goal so those are some bright spots something at least Inter Miami can hang their hat on and say at least there was something to 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 be positive about because besides that it was as ugly as it's been uglier than it's been so Inter Miami's got a quick turnaround. They'll have to go again on Sunday. They do so against the Philadelphia Union. We'll preview that game very quickly, but we'll do so after this. I feel their full support. I always have done. The concern is from, is me. They don't need to tell me about their concerns because I have the same concerns. And I've been in football long enough. And I've been in situations where these results aren't good enough. So I know the consequences. That's, that's no problem to me because all I want is for this team and this football club to succeed. We're doing everything in our power to do that. We just need better performances on the field. And, and with, that, with that comes responsibility and accountability. And, and, and for me, I've got, got great responsibility 
and I'm accountable for everything that I do and run a run at the moment that puts me under pressure. But that's what football management's all about. All right, Michelle. So this Sunday, Inter-Miami plays the Philadelphia Union. And it's another team that's in, towards the top of the Eastern Conference. They're in second place in the East right now. Philadelphia Union plays tonight, Thursday. Shortly after we'll, we'll be finished recording this, they play Orlando City. That's a pretty good game. If you know, if you if you watch it, you might get a good idea of what Philadelphia might might bring on Sunday. Although the short turnaround will probably impact some of their lineup decisions. Now, for Inter Miami, Michelle, what is the key? To the game, what does Inter Miami need to do to get a result? I'm not even going to say a win. Just get a result, get a point out of this at home. At least end the losing streak. Get some momentum in your favor. Get some wind in your sails, and and start trying to rebuild that confidence. It's a tough task because the truth is they're facing some of the best teams in the in their conference right now. Basically, the number one team followed by the number two team. Two of the top coaches in the league, honestly, Bruce Arena and Jim Curtin. You know, uh, two guys who are really good coaches, who know the league, who know have their teams always prepared. Um, you know, one thing that may work in Miami's favors, they will have one more day of rest. Um, you could even say to be mean that some of the guys were resting during the second half, you know, last night <laughs> or first half too. But anyway, um, you know, playing Thursday and then turning around and playing Sunday, that's that's a pretty quick turnaround. So maybe Philadelphia will be a tiny bit more tired. Um, You know, I think in this case, the way they started off strong yesterday, they need to do that again. And that means putting out whoever are the best 11 players who are going to be the most active at the beginning of the game. You know, it may give them some uh, confidence knowing that they beat Philadelphia early this year. They beat them up there. Of course, it was the Iguain brothers who won that game. Uh, that was a really fun game to watch for Inter Miami fans and the two brothers, you know, one feeding the other. I mean, we were—I was thinking, oh wow, this is this is going to be fun to see this happening. Um, it hasn't really happened since that game, but uh, you know, they they played well against Philadelphia last time. Even though Philadelphia is a very good team, I feel like they matched up pretty well against them. Um, they've got some good players. But I think Miami matches up well against them. Miami will maybe have the one day of rest may help them. They are in a do-or-die situation, although I would have said the same thing before yesterday's game. That did not seem to inspire them enough, which is surprising. That should have inspired them enough. Um, I think they got to go for it. I think they just have to – they have to just act like this is it, like this is the last game of the season and their pride is on the line and – um, anyone who's not 100% in should not even play. Um, there's no room for, you know, anything but a hundred percent effort on this game, but it's, it's going to be very tough. They're playing against, again, the number two team in the Eastern conference, a team that is always prepared. Jim Curtin is a really good coach. He's really good at exploiting the other team's weaknesses. I'm sure he's already been studying what happened last night. It's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. The thing about the Philadelphia Union is that, you know, they might not have the flashiest names, but they're a well-oiled machine. They've played under yeah. Jim Curtin for years. That identity is established. They know what to do. They know what he wants. And for that reason alone, it's going to be a monumental task for Inter Miami. For me, the key to the game is being defensively tight, keeping a zero for as long as you possibly can. I know that Inter Miami is in need of points, and Phil Neville has talked about having to go for it, and obviously you need points to try to make up the the ground that they've lost in, in the Eastern Conference, but if you try to go blow for blow with Philadelphia Union, I just don't see that ending well for Inter Miami. I don't think that they have... Right, maybe the, if they can get to 0-0 zero, zero at halftime, if they, can, if they can get to halftime without conceding a goal then maybe that gives them some inspiration going into the second half. If they give up a goal, if they give up a goal early, the chins are going to drop again. The shoulders are going to, it's going to be like, the, Oh my, the fans it's going to be, be upset. It's going to, you know, keep the game yep. at zero, zero for as long as possible. Give yourself a chance to win the game late. Look, I, I am of my personal belief. My soccer, the way I see soccer is attack, go for it. Be brave, risk, 
try to score. If you're going to lose, lose in that way. That's just my personal opinion. But with Miami, with what we've seen from this group, I don't think that they can do that because I think that they will get blown out like we saw this this past or sorry this midweek game. So for me, keep that zero at the back. Try to try to maintain that zero, and maybe you can sneak a goal off of a lucky bounce, off of a corner kick, off of a free kick, and you know off of an own goal. Whatever it takes, maybe you can pull out either a win that way or at least a draw. Which at this point, a draw is a huge upgrade over a five to zero defeat. So that's the key to the game for me, Michelle. Quickly. We know there's going to be at least one lineup change because Rodolfo Pizarro, well, there'll probably be two because Gregory's back in, but Rodolfo Pizarro is out. He's traveling to go be with Mexico for the CONCACAF Gold Cup, so that's at least one change that will happen. Any other changes you see besides Gregory coming back in and Rodolfo Pizarro coming back out? Do you think Jay Chapman comes in? Who, who do you see coming into the lineup on Sunday? Yeah, I think Jay Chapman will come in. And, you know, I also, I kind of like better when, when Figal and um, LGP play side by side, Yeah, the, you know, as center backs, they have a chemistry about them. They're friends, you know, they're both Argentine. They have the same kind of mentality. They seem to play, to me, they play better as partners in the middle. Um, but then the question is, you know, who do you put out on the wings? Joven Joan is out. I don't know if Kelvin Leardham, I guess, is back. Um I don't know. They've put Victor back there once or twice, I think, as a stopgap. Uh, you know, I kind of like those two better in the middle than having Nico on the Absolutely. right side. I, I don't know. You know, Ryan Shawcross, um, I don't know. I'm still waiting to see if that chemistry works out in the back line. I haven't seen it. I see I, I think they look better when, when LGP and, and Nico are playing side by side. Um and uh, other than that, I mean, I thought Robbie Robinson looked good in the minutes he played. You know, I thought he looked good. He's energetic. And, you know, I think Gonzalo, it remains to be seen. What is he going to bring? What's his mood? It's going to come down to what's his mood and, and you know, what is what is his mentality going into the game? Lewis Morgan, of course, is Lewis Morgan. He'll be there. Uh, Gregory will help. I think Gregory's a real fiery player and Everybody seems to rally around him um, if he doesn't get a yellow card or a red card. So, um, yeah, but I definitely see Jay Chapman playing more. Um, I don't know about the other new guy. You know, you have uh, Kieran Gibbs as a possibility, maybe playing more. Um, He's, you know, probably seen enough now that he could come in and maybe do something, try to help. Um, I don't know, Indiana. Maybe he'll come in and give some kind of spark. He's supposed to be fast. I don't know. I haven't seen him play. He's supposed to, you know, be fast, have good speed. So I don't know. We'll see. It'll be very interesting. Uh, I think uh, this is the lineup. I think we'll see. Um, and this is just my prediction as of today, Thursday. Obviously, with the availability tomorrow, depending on what's said and who's available, things could change. But this is what I think. It'll be Nick Marsman. In goal. If Kelvin Leardham is back and available, I think he gets the start at right back. If he's not, mm-hmm. I think Victor Ulloa gets the start there. In the middle, I think it should be Nicolas Figal and Leandro Gonzalez Pires. And I think it will be, although Phil Neville might be really, really upset with Nicolas Figal after this one because he was involved in four of the five goals. And in the fifth one, he just did the, what I said earlier about Blaise Matuidi and, and Lewis Morgan. He just kind of strolled back, didn't track back, um, and didn't show that, that effort and that desire. So there is a chance that maybe Nicolas Figal does not see the field, but I think you know if you're trying to get a win, you're trying to keep that zero at the back, I think you're going to have to put Nicolas Figal and Leonardo gonzalez Pires back in, that, in, the, in, the, in the center as the center back tandem. At left back, that's a question for me. Does he stick with Christian McCoon, who didn't have a great game in this one? Does he maybe go with someone like Breck Shea? Um, I'll say Christian McCoon because we haven't seen a lot of Breck Shea at left back this year, but I wouldn't be surprised if Breck Shea also gets gets a, a, the nod there. I don't think Kieran Gibbs will start just yet. I think he's still too far behind in terms of his fitness. In the midfield, I think we'll see Gregory come back in, and I think we'll see Jay Chapman next to him. I think Blaise Matuidi gets benched. The, the second midfield line, I think it'll be Morgan... Robinson, and then there's the question at the ten: Do they put in Federico Iguain? Do they do they put in uh, another central midfielder or or somebody else? I think that that's the big question. I'll say Federico starts, and I'll say Julian Carranza gets the nod up top. That's just my predicted lineup. Um, Michelle, 
before we wrap up and let you go, what is your prediction as of today, Thursday? Again, things can change. We, we will find out more information from the team tomorrow. But what's your prediction for Sunday's matches? Inter Miami and the losing streak. Does it stop the bleeding at six games? Or does this continue on with a seventh defeat? I will predict a 1-1 tie. How about that? They will score one goal. I'm not ready to say that they're going to all of a sudden score a bunch of goals. But maybe they'll score one goal and concede one. I mean, I think that's that's something they should shoot for. I think that that's doable, uh, but difficult because Philadelphia is a very good team uh, with a very good coach, and um, they already lost to them, so they don't probably don't want to lose to the last place team twice. Um, so they have a lot of pride also on the line. Um, but I, you know, I'll just go on the line here and be optimistic and and pick a one-one tie. Imagine the euphoria if Inter Miami scores a meaningful goal in in that game because they have so much weight on them right now. This is going to be an incredible roar, not from the fans, but also from, I imagine, the team as well. I will say Inter Miami finally scores because it's been a while since they've scored, but they lose 3-1. to one. I don't think they're going to get a result. Philadelphia's good. Very, very good. They are coming on short rest, so it is possible. You know, It's MLS. Anything is possible practically, but... Inter Miami's in a real bad way. Confidence is low. Phil Neville saying this is not a team, so I don't think he can resolve that or fix that um, in a matter of two, three days. Hours. Yeah, so. okay, he has 48 hours to, to rally the troops. It's yeah, tough. So I, th- I think it's a tough ask. Um, I think Inter Miami loses. I think we'll be talking about a seventh defeat next week. Hopefully for Inter, Inter Miami fans, this case that, that doesn't happen, hopefully they get at least a result out of this because the fans have been suffering for quite a while. Michelle, I know you have the spaghetti and meatball, so I, I won't do. hold you. Cold. And I do want to thank you for coming on um, on short notice and, and coming on as the first time. This is your first time on Miami Total Football Radio, so we appreciate that. Michelle, thank you again for joining us. We're going to take a quick break, and we will do the Q&A session, of course, after this. It's Q&A time. It's just me alone on this one, so there won't be as much bantering back and forth. I'll try to get through it. There's obviously a lot, a lot of questions, comments, and concerns given the state of the team. So let's begin. It starts with Gabe P. It says, rant. WTF, why, instead of what? WTF, would only three players come to wave the fans and apologize? Leo and Morgan are the only two players that I can remember now. I find that so. He puts a heartbreaking emoji like WTF, this time with a what, not a why. WTF, you lost 5-0. We need better players. At least they need to be accountable. So sad for Neville. Genuinely a nice guy. Look, I think it comes down to just emotionally and mentally where the team is right now. Obviously, you want them to acknowledge the fans, um, but after a 5-0 loss, I'm sure a lot of the players just wanted to stick their head in the sand and not have to be seen because this was the worst performance for the, the, the franchise and the worst performance probably for a lot of these players in their careers. A 5-0 loss does not happen that often. So, you know, Nick Marsman said that it never happened to him in his career that he was pretty upset at halftime. So I imagine it's more along the lines of that. And again, this is not a one-off. This has been kind of a a cumulative thing that they've been losing and losing in bad ways with poor performances. So I can imagine after a 5-0, just a lot of the players just wanted wanted to get out of there as soon as possible. Kudos to Uyoa Morgan. And I think I had also read or seen that Nick Marsman, you know, applauded the fans and, and went over and maybe even gave somebody his his set of gloves so oh Gabe P does follow up with a second tweet he says I think he is over his head at the moment I believe he's talking about Phil Neville the players don't support him and it's not an indictment on him it's on the bad excuse me the bad planning from last season him and Alonso are paying the price for what did I, I imagine that's referring to Paul McDonough with this team the team improved once we went into a 
four five one and three five two. Look, for me, the formation that Inter Miami played in in the second half was not a four five one or three five two. I think the formation they went to was a three four one two. At least that's what I saw because the three center backs, Nicolas Figal, Leandro Gonzalez Pires, and Ryan Shawcross, they they tucked in a little more centrally, and the width came from Lewis Morgan and Kieran Gibbs, but they were in the they never really dropped back to make a line of five. They were in the, in line with Jay Chapman and Victor Ulloa by and large. And then obviously Pizarro was behind Robbie Robinson and Gonzalo Higuain and trying to operate and create from there. Robbie Robinson had moved out of the left into a more advanced position up the field in the middle. And the players that were then tasked with bringing the width were Lewis Morgan on the right and Jay, excuse me, and then Kieran Gibbs on the left. So that's what I thought the formation was. As for, you know, the whole situation with Inter Miami, I agree that what we're seeing now, and I said this on a Twitter space that I did last night after the game, I think what we're seeing now is a byproduct of the original poor decisions that were made by Paul McDonough in terms of assembling this roster. But look, who hired Paul McDonough in the first place? Jorge Mas and David Beckham. They appointed him over Chris Henderson, and then they tried to go back on that this year when you know they fired him. We fired Paul McDonough and hired Chris Henderson. They tried to correct that mistake, but the damage has been done, and we're seeing the fruits or the results of that initial bad decision. So there's a lot of blame to go around from top to bottom. This is not just on Phil Neville. It's not just on the players. This goes from the top down, at least in my opinion. Next question comes from Frank J. Fort or Frank J. Forte. Not sure what the correct pronunciation on the last name is. You'll let me know, I'm sure, after listening to this. But Frank says, looking at stats, Miami had 15 shots, one on target. You almost have to try to miss that much. Iguain had six shots, zero on frame. He had three good looks in the box where he just scuffed the shot. Revs had 13 shots, 11 on target. These are the difference in quality of these teams in the attack. Or this is the difference in quality in these teams' attacks. Look, we know Inter-Miami has had a very tough time scoring goals. So the fact that they finished with just one shot on target, that's not something that has been uncommon this year. That has happened multiple times throughout the course of this season. The attack struggles in a big way, but this team in general struggles in a big way. Defensively, in the buildup, in terms of chance creation, in terms of quality chances, you know, Inter Miami hit the post on a couple of occasions in this one. A bit unlucky there too, but by and large, Inter Miami's attack is a weak point. I actually asked Phil Neville about that oof, months ago, months ago, because I started to see the signs that the attack was not there, and, and Phil Neville at that point said he wasn't concerned about it because, you know, with the talent, the individual talent that's there, he thought it would it would pick up and it would resolve itself but it hasn't and unfortunately for Inter Miami they're on a a big losing streak now with very few goals scored only nine this year still only nine this year next question comes from Paris Reagan Franco what do you think is next for the team and how do we take positive steps towards Sunday I said it with Michelle in the previous segment I think benching the players that are not showing the effort, the commitment, and the desire. I think that's that's the first step, and I think some real hard decisions are going to have to be made. Obviously, you don't want to bench designated players for long term, but that might be what has to happen here because Blaise Matuidi has not delivered anywhere close to his level on an anywhere consistent enough basis. Blaise Matuidi has been poor by and large. He's probably had maybe a handful of good games since joining Inter Miami. The rest have been very subpar to below average to bad. So I think that is a one possible solution. Bench the players that aren't putting in the effort and the fight. And that, to me, starts with Blaise Matuidi and Gonzalo Higuain. We'll see what Phil Neville does. We'll see what he says tomorrow during the availability on Friday. And then we'll see what he does on Sunday with regards to his lineup decisions. The following question comes from Talk Inter Miami CF. Do you think we will see any changes, either the staff or players, before summer transfer window is over? Phil Neville said a couple of weeks ago he didn't expect to make that much movement, but I think given the state of the team and how bad things are, I think you could maybe see some players shipped out via trade or whatever, because I think at this point, 
the team needs to try to start moving pieces because this is not going to be the team that competes next year and beyond. They're going to start having to plan for that. Mathematically, you know, it is salvageable to me. I don't. I think the the ship is well on its way to being sunk. It's MLS. Anything can happen. But I would say I don't think this Inter Miami turns this around. So I think you know we might see maybe from the front office them starting to make some moves to start moving some pieces because this group clearly, like I said before, is a broken team and it's not going to get much better this year, at least in my opinion. Next question comes from Dose Knows. As a season ticket holder, it's frustrating to watch the lack of effort. Do you attribute that to Neville or lack of leadership on the team? Also, why don't we play a 4-4-2 and why isn't Matuidi benched? So I've already touched on the Matuidi thing. I absolutely think he gets benched this week and I think Jay Chapman starts for him. You can have your opinion of Jay Chapman, whether you're, you're a fan of his game or not, but I think he will provide an upgrade to that first midfield line over Blaise Matuidi. He'll, he has his weaknesses in his game like every player does, but I think he will provide more than Blaise Matuidi has with the ball and from an effort standpoint. So I, I expect that to happen. As for, you know, is this on Phil Neville or is it lack of leadership on the team? Both. Both. Because leadership doesn't only come from players, it also comes from the head coach. And the fact that this team is not a team, not a collective unit, that speaks to the job Phil Neville and his staff are doing, and that speaks to the players themselves. So, again, there's no one person to blame for this. There is a lot of blame to go around for the situation, the dire situation that Inter-Miami is in. And as for the 4-4-2, I've said it before with Steve on the pod, El Primo, the 4-4-2 is not the formation to go to. I don't think so, not with this personnel, and not in general. The 4-4-2 is a pretty outdated formation by and large this day and age it's very rarely seen because you need more numbers behind the ball you need to have two really good target strikers and eight dogged workers behind them if you're going to play that formation because just of the setup and how the house modern soccer how modern football is next comment comes from prison mike he says matias pellegrini young player we paid a ton for and he's on a free loan back in argentina I would boot one of them underperforming players and bring him back young with a bright future. Iguain is still trapped at the both finals of Copa America versus Chile. Lost his hair since. I don't believe Matias Pellegrini is in Argentina. I know there had been reports of that, but he's not there yet. At least not, not from my knowledge, because he's been in Miami. He's been taking pictures and posting on his, on his Instagram that he's in Miami. So he's still around. He's still training with the team. He's just obviously not eligible to play for Inter-Miami this season. He cannot play for them again until next year. Maybe at this point, it's something to consider because obviously they need to change the team. They're going to have to make do with what they can. But even then, I think it's difficult to see because he is on a young DP salary. So he's not cheap either. And we know that they have sanctions coming up. So maybe it'll be too tough to keep him. Maybe he's likely leaving the team at some point in the not-too-distant future. Next comment comes from Joseph E. Sometimes I wish we could just delete roster and start over. Look, I think a lot of people feel that way right now. I think the mood overall from the fan base is not one of optimism or happiness towards the state of the team and the players by and large. Obviously, there's this, this roster has not been pieced together in the best way. That's clear as crystal just from the not only the results, but also what's been said after games. So, and what's been said for a while, because this, you know, Phil Neville saying this is not a team, this is not the first time we've heard that, and, and not just from him. AJ De La Garza, last year after the playoff loss, talked about players not being on the same page, not understanding each other. He attributed it to a language barrier, but clearly there's more to it than that. Will Trapp, when I asked him in a press conference when he joined Minnesota United, why he thought the team didn't do well in 2020, he said that it's a collection of individuals. I agree with that assessment. I think it's becoming more and more evident that that's the case. So this has been a recurring issue with regards to the roster and, and the construction of the team. I think culturally, the issues that, that there might be some issues there, not information I've heard, but just what I, what I think, I think there might be some cultural issues that also impact the locker room. Next question comes from Luis. I will take a different approach. Why won't Gonzalo Higuain make himself available for press conferences after the game? 
He's the highest paid player, and there's a responsibility attached to that. So the players in the post-game press conferences are selected by the team. So I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that they don't normally put him or any of the star players up when things go wrong. I think they save them for when they score or when the performances are better or when there's results, which is why we haven't heard from him in so long. So I think it has more to do with that. I don't think it's Iguain just saying downright, I'm not doing any press conferences ever. So I think it's more in line with the, with the team having to choose which, which players speak. Next question comes from Sal Paradise. Hi, Franco. Love the pod. Coming to my first game this Sunday. Hope it's better than last night. Do you think there's any chance at all they buy out Iguain's contract just to be rid of him? He seems to be very toxic to the team and is very much underperforming. Two, he is the best player skill-wise on the team, but I think he's dragging everyone down. As a senior player with so many honors, he sets a very poor example. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Look, they can't buy out his contract. They cannot buy him out because they've already used out their one buyout option that MLS permits on Matias Pellegrini. So they can't buy him out, at least in this year. They're stuck with him unless someone comes out of nowhere to buy him, which no one's going to come do that because he's a veteran player who's in the twilight of his career and no one's paying a transfer fee for him. So I think they're stuck with him through the end of the year. I do agree that his attitude has not been the greatest for much of his time here. I do think that does impact his teammates and maybe irk some of them or bother some of them or brings their confidence down. I do think that there is an element of that at play here. Next question comes from Jorge Medina. In your honest opinion, if you were the sporting director and you had the ability to get rid of the bad apples on this team, who would it be and why? Cough, cough, McCoon. So, but does bad apples mean to you like the poor performers or does it mean the ones that are causing issues in the locker room? Based on how you said McCoon, I would imagine the former. I imagine you, you, you're relating it to who's not who's not a good player or who you don't think is a good player because I, you know, McCoon hasn't shown anything in terms of attitude or uh, a negative, negative attitude on the field. So if I was the sporting director and I had the, the ability, I mean, I, I think a lot of this roster has to be put under the microscope. I think it, the question would more in line be, the more appropriate question would be, who do you keep? And I think the, the absolute few players that should be kept are... Lewis Morgan, I think you keep him. I think you keep Robbie Robinson, Gregory, of course. I liked what I saw from Nick Marsman. It's only one game, but I think you keep him just because of what I saw in this first match and his personality too. Just he's spoken, he has spoken to us now twice in the past few days in press conference settings. So I've liked what I've heard from him. I think he could be a good leadership type of person in the locker room once he gets more comfortable, once he has more time to establish himself within the group. So I think that those are four players right there. And then from there, it's up in the air. From there, it's up in the air. You know, we could we could dissect the whole roster and go through one by one, and I give you my opinion. But I think those four guys that I just mentioned, Marsman, Robinson, Morgan, and Gregory, those are the four guys that you absolutely have to keep going forward, and then the rest can be decided based on on performance and on contract statuses, etc., etc. Next question comes from Elder Barr, and I think it's the last question. And he says, Franco, will you still have a job if they lose the next game? If fans stop showing up, how much does that impact the team's existence in the league? Is Gibbs a downgrade at the left-back position? Why don't they show media of team training and other activities? So there's a lot of questions there. I'll try to answer them as quickly and as succinctly as possible. I will not lose my job if they don't win the next game. My job does not depend on their results. I just cover the team. So I'm just here to share their story, win, lose, or draw, good, bad, or ugly. I'm just here to help deliver the narrative around this team. Now, will fans stop showing up if they continue to lose? Yes, I believe, I absolutely think so. You know, when when season ticket renewal comes in a matter of a few weeks or months, I'm sure some people are going to take into consideration, hey, do I want to keep spending X thousand amount for a team that not only loses but performs very poorly and doesn't even give me goals to celebrate? So I imagine some people will think that way. 
Um, so yes, I do think fans will stop showing up if if they continue to lose. And does that impact the team's existence in the league? I mean, yes, in the bigger picture, but it would have to take a lot of fans to not show up for a prolonged period for the team to not 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 be around anymore for the league to pull the plug on the team. It's not something that's going to happen from one year to the next just because one year season tickets are down or one year fans aren't showing up in numbers. It would take several years of that. As for as Gibbs a downgrade at the left back position, hard to say after one game where he's only played 45 minutes. I think we saw some positive things, but I also think we saw some rust from him, which is understandable given that he's coming off a long spell of inactivity and why doesn't the, the team show training or other activities i mean i i don't know exactly what you mean in that regard i think that they do show on their social channels be it on instagram be it on twitter they do show some of that their youtube channel as well they do show some of that maybe not enough or enough to your liking but i do believe they show some so if you're not following them on those those channels uh maybe maybe do so and you can get a little bit more of an inter miami fix that way that does it for the q a session on this midweek episode of miami total football radio i will give you my final thought and my final thought is this i said earlier in the show that i don't expect phil neville to be let go but i do think that his seat is as hot as it's ever been i think that there is pressure on him now to revert this situation to improve on the situation and this losing streak and show something, show something. You know, I, I've said throughout this year, I don't see Phil Neville getting fired by Inter Miami. Because of his close ties to David Beckham, I just can't see that happening. Even if Jorge Mas, who's sitting there in the stands every game, even if his blood is boiling on the inside, I don't think Phil Neville will get fired because David Beckham, I just don't see him saying, yeah, let's 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 cut ties with him. I just don't see that happening. So... Regardless of that, I do think that Phil Neville is feeling the heat, and I think he knows he needs to turn this around because more and more serious questions will be asked of him, not even just locally, but nationally and even internationally if this keeps up because Inter-Miami is turning into a embarrassment in terms of standing in the league and, and a laughingstock and, and a team that other fans and other people are starting to point to as a franchise that's starting to be associated with continued failure. So the pressure is on Phil Neville. We'll see how he manages these next few games, these next few weeks, unless something unforeseen happens with regards to his job status. But that does it for this week's second episode. Thank you guys again so much for listening again. We appreciate it. Please, please give us a follow on all our social media channels on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. It helps us a ton to continue to be able to provide you this type of content. As always, I am Franco Penizo. This is Miami Total Football Radio. We'll be back early next week to recap the Philadelphia Union game. Stay tuned to Twitter as well. I might do another Twitter space. So stay tuned for that. And we'll talk to you guys again very, very